The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 34, a psalm of David, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. And their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Every evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Now, uh, right up at uh, verse 12, 13, right in that area, 14, it, uh, Peter cites this particular psalm in 1 Peter, and I typed that this past week in the ongoing commentary. Today's. And Oh, it's today's. Yep. Is that right? Okay, well, there you go. There's a little <laughs> bit of synchronicity. And uh, I'd like to read you something from 1 Peter, seeing as how you're all Bible scholars here. And uh, I typed this over the past two days, and I want to read it to you, and I want you to think about it, and you'll get the commentary in a couple days. And... Um, it says there in verse 18 of 1 Peter 3, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Verse 19, which I typed yesterday and 20 today, By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Verse 20, Who formerly were disobedient when the once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. The real contentious part of this is uh, verse 19 and just a little bit of verse 20, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient. Uh, as I said, I typed that today. And you, if you read all of the translations of those very short words, you're going to get a lot of variety. They're very complicated words. And what is being said 
wait nine days, maybe it's 10 days from now. But anyway, uh, it's a very interesting set of verses, and I think that you'll uh, find it interesting what it's actually telling you, because translations are all over the place, and so are scholarly comments on it. Now, before we get into the actual um, reading of the sermon text today, I want to just do something quickly, because I know these people watch the sermons. I do not know if they watch the Prophecy Updates, and so I'm taking the advantage now before the sermon to thank two people that sent me something without any return address. All it says is um, uh, Crystal and Kristen, I believe. that I can't read it. I think it says Crystal and Kristen, and they sent a very nice letter, and they sent a spoon, which she engraved Tahitiko, it says, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 15. And because I can't send them a letter and thank them, I wanted to thank them here on the actual uh, sermon. That really means a lot to me, and Hitiko was just tickled. And also, they sent a couple pieces of candy, a couple in each bag, and I said, Hitiko, you pick which one you want first, and then I'll take the other one. So, there you go with that. So, thanking them very much. Okay, our sermon verses today are Numbers 33, 16 through 49. We're going to finish up the uh, chapter. Before I read the sermon verses, this is entitled, The Journeys of Israel, Part 2, From Sinai to the Plains of Moab. I don't want all of you trying to remember everything you've heard today. Please don't do that. Please don't say, I, I've got to remember everything I've been told, or there's a lot of information in these verses, okay? It's the kind of thing that I will go back and I'll read them six months from now, and I won't remember having typed 90% of it. It's very complicated, and uh, I'll admit this, and I'll say it again in a minute, some of it is guesswork, because it's just a very, very involved passage. So don't work your brain out. Just accept that God has given us pictures of Israel's time under punishment, and that is leading them back to himself, which is happening right now in human history. And so uh, we'll go ahead and read our sermon verses now. Let's see here. Numbers 33, starting in verse 16. They moved from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kibroth Hataava. They departed from Kibroth Hataava and camped at Hazarot. They departed from Hazarot and camped at Rithmah. They departed from Rithmah and camped at Ramon Perez. They departed from Ramon Perez and camped at Livna. They moved from Livna and camped at Rissa. They journeyed from Rissa and camped at Kehelata. They went from Kehelata and camped at Mount Shefer. They moved from Mount Shefer and camped at Harada. They moved from Harada and camped at Machelot. They moved from Machelot and camped at Tachat. They departed from Tachat and camped at Terach. They moved from Terach and camped at Mithkah. They went from Mithkah and camped at Hashmona. They departed from Hashmona and camped at Moserot. They departed from Moserot and camped at Bene Ja'akan. They moved from Bene Ja'akan and camped at Hor Hagid Gad. They went from Hor Hagid Gad and camped at Jopatah. They moved from Jopatah and camped at Avronah. They departed from Avronah and camped at Ezion Geber. They moved from Ezion Geber and camped in the wilderness of Zin, which is Kadesh. They moved from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor on the boundary of the land of Edom. Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. On the first day of the fifth month, Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. Now the king of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the children of Israel. So they departed from Mount Hor and camped at Zalmonah. They departed from Zalmonah and camped at Punon. They departed from Punon and camped at Obot. They departed from Obot and camped at Ie Abarim at the border of Moab. 
They departed from Iyim and camped at Debongad. They moved from Debongad and camped at Almon Diblataim. They moved from Almon Diblataim and camped in the mountains of Abarim before Nebo. They departed from the mountains of Abarim and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. They camped by the Jordan from Bet Jesimot as far as the Abel Acacia Grove in the plains of Moab. Now, before we get into our actual sermon, verse uh, 38 said, Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt on the first day of the fifth month. That is the verse that Doug chose to do his painting on this week. And if you look at it, it's a really moving painting. So I hope you'll take the time to go in. If you can't see it on Facebook, just email him and ask him to send it to you, and he will. It's a marvelous painting. In the record here in Numbers 33, from the departure from Egypt to where Israel finally ends, right at the doorstep to Canaan, there are 42 movements of the people. One can then say that there are 43 locations, but one is leaving Egypt. If one includes entry into Canaan, that would make a final movement and a final stop, thus equaling 44 locations in 43 movements. But the record of Numbers 33 specifically refers only to these 42 movements. And thus it is certainly intended for us to look at where the number 42 may be seen elsewhere in Scripture. And indeed, there are a few. Two notable ones are first found in 2 Kings 2, where two bears kill 42 rascally youths. And in 2 Kings 10, 42 brothers of Ahaziah got whacked. E.W. Bollinger says of the number 42, 42 is a number connected with Antichrist. An important part of his career is to last for 42 months. That's Revelation 11.2 and 13.5. And thus, this number is fixed upon him. Its factors are 6 and 7. 6 times 7 equals 42. And this shows a connection between man and the Spirit of God and between Christ and Antichrist. Being a multiple of seven, it might be supposed that it would be connected with spiritual perfection, but it is the product of six times seven. Six, therefore, being the number of man and man's opposition to God, 42 becomes significant of the working out of man's opposition to God. This actually fits perfectly with the stops of Israel along the way to glory. It seems at almost every stop, Israel was working in opposition to God or they were an extended punishment for being in opposition to God. As Israel is a snapshot of the redemption of man from leaving Egypt, picturing life in bondage to sin, to entering Canaan, picturing coming to the place of rest promised by God through Christ, we can see how we stand in opposition to God even after having been redeemed by him. That shows us the wonderful marvel which is found in the grace of God in Christ. For Israel, the last 42 months of the tribulation period are reflective of this as well. It will take that period to finally break down their opposition and come to the point where they call out to Christ. But it will happen. Though there is opposition, there is still God's powerful hand working through it. There is also one other interesting use of the number 42 worth looking at today. And one of my friends, I emailed him this week, he emailed back and he said, Charlie, I want to ask you about the 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to Jesus. What does that mean? 
And I told him, well, it's surprising you asked because this Sunday I'm going to be giving a sermon on that particular passage. And I gave him a lot of information except what you're going to hear now. So we got all kinds of great information. If you want to know that, email me and I can send it to you. It's very interesting. I'll give you some of it right now before we get into it. One of them is that the name David in Hebrew is David, and it's spelled Dalit Vav Dalit. Dalit is the number four in Hebrew. Vav is the number six. So you've got six plus four plus four, which equals... 14. So it's anchored on David, okay? It's showing Christ as the greater David, the greater king. There are other things such as that that you can find in this, okay? So it's very interesting, but here we go. Our text verse comes from Matthew 117. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. The three sets of 14 generations listed in Matthew 1 come to a total of 42 generations. A promise was made, and from that time, all the way through until it was fulfilled, man stood in opposition to God. You can see how numbers work perfectly in Scripture to show us truths of redemptive history. But God worked all the way through that period from Abraham to Christ to bring man back to himself. God uses these patterns so that we can know that he is in control. And despite our opposition to him, either intentionally or unintentionally, he will bring us to his kingdom. What he expects from us in the process is a simple word, faith. Israel has proven that relying on deeds of the law does not work. They continue to prove it through their stubborn reliance on personal deeds of merit And they will continue to do so right up until the point where the world is at its final stage of destruction. But they will give up on it someday, and they will call out in faith for relief. That is what the Lord asks us to do right now. Have faith. He has made the promise. He has done the work. And now he asks us to simply trust that his word is true and that he has made access to heaven open for us by his own work. We just need to do the believing. This is a lesson which is repeatedly found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have just one long thought for you today. It's from Sinai to the plains of Moab. Starting in verse 16, they moved from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kibrat Hata'ava. This is now the 13th movement of the people. The move now described is that which occurred after the extended stay at Sinai. They arrived in this area in Exodus 19, verse 1, and the departure is recorded in Numbers 10. Imagine all of that information from 19.1 of Exodus to Numbers chapter 10. All of that information. Here's what it says in Numbers 10, 11 through 13. Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony and the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Then the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. This chapter is a record of the places of encampment and very little information about those places is given. But it is still surprising that not a single word is spoken of all that occurred between Exodus 19 and Numbers chapter 10. It does show, however, how purposeful the record is. It must be that way. If they don't say anything about all the time at Sinai, then when they do say something like Aaron has died, 
You need to understand there is a purpose and we need to figure that out. The name Kibrat Hata'ava essentially means graves of the lusting. It is location where the people lusted after meat. The Lord gave them quail, and as it says, there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. Without attempting to oversymbolize the passage, there is another passage which matches what occurs here. If the time at Sinai is given as symbolic of the time of Christ's cross, then what occurred with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 makes a good parallel to what occurred here. Instead of being satisfied with life in Christ, they lusted after the things of the world, died because of it, and were buried in the graves of lusting. As a note, Taborah, which was mentioned as a stopping place in Numbers 11, must not be the name of the place of encampment. Here in Numbers 33, no such place is named. Therefore, and as we noted at that time, Taborah is surely a location within the confines of Kibrat Hata'ava, not specifically a separate location. Verse 17, they departed from Kibrat Hata'ava and camped at Hazarot. The 14th movement of the people is from Kibrat Hata'ava, or graves of the lusting, to Hazarot. Hazarot is the plural of Hatzer, or village. Therefore, it means villages. As we saw in Numbers 12 sermon, Hazarot implies a place of many villages and thus many people. It made a fitting description of the dispersion of Israel around the world among many settlements and a wide range of peoples. Next, verse 18, they departed from Hazarot and camped at Rithmah. The 15th movement of the people is from Hazarot, or villages, to Rithmah. Rithmah comes from Retem, meaning a type of broom or juniper tree. That, in turn, comes from the word Ratam, meaning to bind or to attach. From this point, Charles Ellicott explains many of the difficulties of the stops as recorded earlier, as are recorded now, and as will be recorded later in Deuteronomy. In the end, if you want to know an explanation for many of these difficulties, you can refer to his writings. For now, he notes that according to Numbers 12:16, the next encampment after Hazarot was in the wilderness of Paran from whence Moses, in obedience to the divine command, sent the spies to search out the land of Canaan. That's Numbers 13.3. Everybody remember that? If then we compare these two accounts and take into further consideration the fact that the Wadi Abu Retemat is not far distant from Kadesh, and that according to Robinson, it abounds with the Retem, or broom, and that near it there is copious spring of water called Ayin el Kudarit, it seems reasonable to infer that the encampment at Rithmah, which is recorded in this chapter, is the same as that at Kadesh, in the wilderness of Paran, as is recorded in Numbers 12, 16. In other words, and as we have seen at other times, there are places with names already given that are also given names based on what occurs at those places. As this is location where, in Numbers 14, the people accepted the words of the spies and rejected the word of the Lord, it may be what the psalmist is speaking of in Psalm 120, where he says, What shall be given you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue, sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree? Here we can see a picture, the root ratam, meaning to bind or attach, as with a yoke, pictures the people attaching themselves to a yoke, meaning the law, having rejected Christ. 
Paul calls the law a yoke in Galatians 5, verses 1 and 2. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. You can see that the names of the stops are continuously showing us what Israel did and what happened to Israel from the very inception of them all the way through until the time that they finally come to Christ, which is very close in our future right now as well. Every one of these stops pictures that. Because of this yoke, a truth is seen in the next words. Verse 19, they departed from Rithma and camped at Ramon Perez. The 16th move is from Rithma, or place of the broom, to Ramon Perez. Ramon is a pomegranate. Perez signifies a breach. Therefore, it is pomegranate of the breach. The word Ramon is associated with the word rum, to be high or exalted. Thus, the pomegranate carries the connotation of mental maturity and calling to remembrance. Paul says those under the law are under a tutor. They're not mature. On the contrary, he says in Galatians 3, verse 25, that for those in Christ Jesus, after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You can see once again the name reflecting the state of Israel. Based on Charles Ellicott's words cited in the previous verse, he makes a logical assumption. If this inference be admitted, it is reasonable to conclude further that the 17 places of encampment which are mentioned in Numbers 33, 19 through 36 between Rithma and Kadesh are those at which the Israelites pitched their camps during the 38 years of wandering in the wilderness. And this is exactly what is seen in the naming of this stop. Ramon Perez, there was a breach between the coming of Christ and them going on to mental maturity. They instead clung to the yoke of the law. They chose the law and went into exile, perfectly pictured as we saw in the earlier number sermon in the 38 years of wandering in the wilderness. The account fits exactingly. Next, verse 20, they departed from Ramon Perez and camped at Livna. The 17th movement is from Ramon Perez, or pomegranate of the breach, to Livna, or whiteness. On the surface, that doesn't seem to indicate anything connected to what we would expect of exile. However, Livna comes from Lavan, a verb meaning to make whiter, or make bricks, because bricks whiten when they are made. For those who have followed the use of this word since the early Genesis account, and we have every single time we've come to it, where the people made Lavan or bricks to build the Tower of Babel, it has consistently been used to picture works-based salvation. Does anybody remember any of those sermons? Every time it has, very consistently. Thus, this location follows the rejection of Christ, the breach of the people's mental maturity, and their attempts at being justified by works and not by faith in Christ. This is not an arbitrary made-up possibility by Charlie Garrett. It is what Lavan or Bricks have consistently pictured, and it is exactly what occurred among Israel since they departed from Christ. Admittedly, from this point on, the pictorial imagery for each stop at times is difficult to determine. Some of my analyses concerning the meanings for them are therefore my best guess. I do not want you to think that I have detailed this perfectly. I'm guessing. I think my guesses are right. I would not give them otherwise. But I want you to know that some of these locations are very hard to determine why. But I think I've given you a good analysis in the coming verses. For the next stop, verse 21. 
they moved from Livna and camped at Rissa. The 18th movement is from Livna, or whiteness, to Rissa. That word comes from Rassas, meaning to moisten. That, in turn, comes from Rassis, which is used in Amos 6, verse 11. For behold, the Lord gives a command. He will break the great house into bits and the little house into pieces. The word into bits is that word. Rissa thus means do or a ruin. Thus, one can see the ruin promised upon Israel in the day of the Lord's wrath. Verse 22, they journeyed from Rissa and camped at Kehelathah. The 19th movement is from Rissa or a ruin to Kehelathah or assembly. That comes from kahal, meaning a convocation or assembly. What appears to be the case for this name is that despite being under punishment and also being brought to ruin, the Lord kept Israel as a united people, exactly as he promised he would, an assembly. Thus, they moved from ruin to assembly. It is a note of grace, hope, and promise. Verse 23, they moved from Kehelatah and camped at Mount Shepher. The 20th movement is from Kehelatah, or assembly, to Mount Shepher, or beautiful mount, as complete speculation. I would guess that this could follow along with the previous stop as a note of hope and promise. Despite their wanderings in exile, they are given the hope of possessing the beautiful mountain, meaning that of God with Messiah someday. It could be the exact opposite, though. Israel under exile finds a beautiful mount to reside. They go to Spain. They were there for many years, and then they were forced out. They're quickly plucked up and moved again. It's speculation. I can't be dogmatic, and so I've given you both possible explanations there. Verse 24, they moved from Mount Shepher and camped at Haradah. The 21st movement is from Mount Shepher, or beautiful mount, to Haradah. This comes from Harad, meaning terror or trembling. It can be good trembling, as in Hosea 11.11, or it can be terrified trembling. It is either a continued promise of restoration or a picture of the state of the people in exile. If the former, verse 25, they moved from Haradah and camped at Machelot. The 22nd movement is from Haradah, or terror, to Machelot, the place of assemblies. Hosea 11 says the following about the exiles of Israel using the same word, Harad, that is the basis for Haradah. They shall walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. Then his sons shall come trembling. That word harad from the west. They shall come trembling. Again, harad like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Assyria. And I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. If the imagery follows concerning hope of future restoration, it is a note that even in a time of exile and punishment, those who tremble will return to their place of assembly. However, the name could mean that in their place of assemblies, they will face terror until their time of exile is over. This was certainly the case for the Jewish people over the past 2,000 years. That actually seems likely based on the next two stops. Verse 26, they moved from Machelot and camped at Tachat. The 23rd movement is from Machelot, or place of assembly, to Tachat. The name comes from Tachat, which means under or beneath, but it can also signify in place of, because something that comes from under can replace, such as when Seth is said to have Tachat come in place or under his murdered brother Abel. Israel moves to Tachat, or in place of, from the place of assemblies. 
This was certainly the case for Israel. They were taken out of their place of assembly, and they continued to be removed from each place they assembled, wandering from place to place throughout the generations, so much so that there is a flower named after them, the wandering Jew. Thank you. This is seen in the next move. Verse 27, they departed from Tahat and camped at Terach. The 24th movement is from Tahat, or in place of, to Terach. The name Terach is the same as that of the father of Abraham. Its meaning is a best guess by any scholar, but it appears to come from two words, Tur, which gives the sense of a broad, sweeping motion, and Ravach, which is to be wide, spacious, unconfined, and so on. Thus, it could signify a wanderer. Think of somebody wandering, brushing through a wide, open space, and that's where the name probably comes from. It makes complete sense that they were given wandering in place of a home and a place of assembly. Thus, the name suits the pattern of Israel's exile. From there, verse 28, they move from Terach, encamped at Mithkah, the 25th movement is from Terach, or wanderer, to Mithkah. The word comes from Mathok, to become sweet or pleasant. Thus it means sweetness. Though seemingly unlike something experienced in exile, it may be exactly the opposite. When in exile, Israel found wonderful, pleasant places to dwell. They're still here in America, aren't they? This is a wonderful, pleasant place. However, in time, they were uprooted again and forced to move on. That is the case with the move here, and then away from here. Verse 29, they went from Mithkah and camped at Hashmonah. The 26th movement is from Mithkah, or sweetness, to Hashmonah. It comes from Hashman, which is some type of envoy. That comes from a root signifying wealthy. Thus, it may mean fertile. Being uprooted from a pleasant place, they find themselves in a new location, a fertile one. But for people under punishment, there is nothing permanent or lasting. And thus, verse 30, they departed from Hashmonah and camped at Moserot. The 27th movement is from Hashmonah, or fertile, to Moserot. It is the plural of the same place, Moserah, which is seen in Deuteronomy 10, verse 6. Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of Benaja Akan to Moserah, where Aaron died and where he was buried, and Eliezer, his son, ministered as priest in his stead. As it says elsewhere that Aaron died on Mount Hor, it follows that the names Moserah, Moserot, and Hor are the same place or that Mount Hor is located near a place called Moserah. Moserah means bond or bonds, as in those used on prisoners. The picture of exile and bonds is obvious, and it is how the people often found themselves. They chose the yoke of the law, bound themselves to it, and in turn, they were bound and imprisoned in the lands of their exile. Verse 31, they departed from Moserot and camped at Bene Ja'akan. The 28th movement is from Moserot, or bonds, to Bene Ja'akan. Bene means sons. Ja'akan comes from a root, akhal, meaning to twist. It is used in Habakkuk 1 verse 4. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment, that word there, proceeds. Thus, bene ya'akan signifies sons of twisting, meaning perverting. The picture is obvious. It speaks of a people who twist that which is right and proper and follow a contrary path. 
This continues to be seen especially in liberal Jews of the world to this day. However, it speaks of any who would forsake the truth of God in Christ, which Israel famously did and which they continue to do to this day. Verse 32, they moved from Bene Ya'akan and camped at Hor Hagidgad. The 29th movement is from Bene Ya'akan, or Sons of Twisting, to Hor Hagidgad. Hor signifies a cavern. Hagidgad is a tough word to be dogmatic about. It is derived from Gadad, meaning to assemble, or to gash. Maybe it means cavern of the gatherers. At this point in the narrative, Israel is still under exile. They are still a united people, but they are exiles from their land. Despite having no home, they remain gathered as a people. That's pretty obvious. Throughout history, they have remained gathered, just as the book of Esther says they did, and as every country they have been in say they do. Verse 33, they went from Hor Hagidgad and camped at Jopatah. The 30th movement is from Hor Hagidgad, or Cavern of the Gatherers, to Yotbata, meaning pleasantness. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 7, Yotbata is said to be a land of rivers of waters. However, the word for rivers there is one signifying a wadi. It receives water at intermittent intervals. That word comes from a verb signifying to take possession or inherit. Yotbata is a land of inheritance, but it is not the land of inheritance. There is nothing permanent there for Israel, and so they move on. Israel is united, and they are being led outside of their land of inheritance to their future meeting with destiny. Verse 34, they moved from Yopata and camped at Avronah. Can you see how difficult Monday sermon typing was for me this particular week? It's a very complicated passage, and there's a lot of information that has to be studied. The 31st movement is from Yopata, or pleasantness, to Avronah, or passage. It comes from Avar, meaning to pass. The na at the end is an imperative feminine plural. Thus, it would signify something like, do pass over. If someone camps in a place that means do pass over, it means they will not be staying in the place they have camped. The stops of Israel during their time of exile are temporary stops as time urges them to continue on. Verse 35, they departed from Avronah and camped at Ezion Geber. The 32nd movement is from Avronah, or do pass over, to Ezion Geber. The word Ezion comes from Atzeh. The backbone. Geber speaks of a man. Thus, it is literally backbone of a man. As the backbone is the foundation of man, one could logically assume that this means foundation of a man. The location is at the very south where Israel ends at Elat, just at the Red Sea. It is where the ships of Solomon went out from, and it is where the ships of Jehoshaphat were destroyed without ever leaving. Being this close to the land of Canaan, it is almost begging Israel to consider the Creator and how He has revealed Himself. The foundation of a man is what he was created from and for. When man gets away from contemplating these things, the Lord works to redirect him so that there will be reconciliation. This was the purpose of Israel's exile. Even though those in exile were destroyed along the way, the purpose of the exile was to bring the body of people Back to him in a restored relationship, exactly as he said he would do, again, Leviticus 26 and elsewhere. He did this through the cross of Christ, and Israel will come to know that. Verse 36, they moved from Ezion Geber and camped in the wilderness of Zin, which is Kadesh. 
The 33rd movement is from Etzion Geber, or Backbone of Man, to the Wilderness of Tzin, which is at Kadesh. The name Tzin signifies a thorn or a barb. It was seen several times already when picturing the cross of Christ. The name Kadesh means holy. Israel has been confronted with the cross throughout their time of wandering, signified by the wilderness of Zin. However, the name Kadesh, or holy, was given not because the people were holy, but if you remember, it was because of Moses' failure to sanctify the Lord in the people's eyes. That was seen in Numbers 27. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hollow, that word there, Kadesh, hollow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Israel is brought back to this location to remind them that the law is what brought about their exile. Moses struck the rock rather than speaking to it, in this, the sentence was pronounced. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow, that word again, me, in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. They were sentenced to die in the wilderness with Israel. The law cannot obtain the inheritance. Israel rejected the Lord's promise and was exiled. The law fails to honor the Lord, pictured by Moses, and the law could not bring entry into the inheritance. Thus, all were exiled. Verse 37, they moved from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor on the boundary of the land of Edom. The 34th movement is from Kadesh, or Holy, to Mount Hor, or Mount of the Mountain. In a previous sermon from Numbers 20, it was seen that Mount Hor pictured Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law. Here, Mount Hor is said to be on the boundary of the land of Edom. Edom is given as a picture of Adam, the man who was made from the red soil of the earth. Israel has arrived at this spot, traveling from Holy to the Mount of the Mountain, bordering the land of Edom. It is here at this time, verse 38, Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt on the first day of of the fifth month. As we saw in a sermon from Numbers 20, Aaron's death signified the ending of the law in Christ's greater priesthood. It was in the 39th year of the wanderings of Israel, just as the Old Testament ends with 39 books. With the Aaronic priesthood ended, the time of the law was also ending. The pictures which followed this in the Numbers narrative clearly reflected this. With the death of Aaron recorded here, it now says, verse 39, Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. This statement is in exacting agreement with Exodus 7, verse 7, which says Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. That then agrees with Deuteronomy 34, verse 7, which says Moses was 120 years old when he died. The year of Aaron's death, then, is the year 2554 Anno Mundi or from the creation of the world. The dates given show the reliability of the entire account concerning the lines of Adam all the way until this point. The Aaronic priesthood has and will find its end in Christ. It is done, but there is still another seven years left for Israel to figure this out before they call on Christ. That is the tribulation period. It's coming soon to a world near you. Verse 40, Now the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the children of Israel. 
This is an agreement with Numbers 21.1, which said, The king of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. All of the details of why this king is mentioned were given minutely in chapter 21. If you missed that, it is a marvelous passage to go back and get updated on. In short, it was given to show that Israel will, at some point, go from personal works of the law to faith in Christ in order to enter into the promise. It speaks of the age in which we are right now and which will soon come to pass. Though there have been some difficulties up to this point in the names of the locations between the accounts in Numbers and those in Deuteronomy, these are only difficulties because the names are different which are used for places in Numbers and places in Deuteronomy. Also, the account here is specifically chronological, whereas at times this has not been the case before. Verse 41, so they departed from Mount Hor and camped at Salmonah. The 35th movement is from Mount Hor, or Mount of the Mountain, to Salmonah. The name Salmonah comes from Tselem, which means image or likeness. When God created man, he did so in his Tselem, or image. Tselem comes from a root meaning to shade and thus figuratively to make a resemblance because your shadow makes a resemblance of you. And so it means shady or image. This name, and because it is mentioned here in the narrative, may indicate the place where the bronze serpent was fashioned, it being an image of the serpents which had bit them. That is only conjecture, though. For Israel in exile, it is a note that they too will go from the image of the earthly man to that of the heavenly man. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, which we just studied in this Thursday's Bible study, the first man was of the earth made of dust, the second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Next it says, verse 42, they departed from Salmonah and camped at Punon. The 36th movement is from Salmonah, or image, to Punon. This comes from Pun, meaning to be distraught. That is only found in Psalm 88. I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am Pun, distraught. Therefore, Punon means something like perplexity. Despite being prepared for entry into the land, step by step, the people of Israel are and will remain in perplexity until they have come to God through Christ. And we see that happening in Israel right now. Right now, that is being fulfilled. Verse 43, they departed from Punon and camped at Obot. The 37th movement is from Punon or perplexity to Obot or wineskins. Great sermon that was, wasn't it? This place was seen in Numbers 21, 10. The Obot or wineskins pictured the people of Israel. This is based on what Jesus said to them in the Synoptic Gospels. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one having drunk the old wine immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. Jesus was speaking of the law and grace. If one tries to put the grace the Lord provides into the law, the skins couldn't handle it. They were incompatible and both are ruined in the attempt. The people are the wineskins, ready to be filled with the new covenant grace, 
which is found in Christ. Wonderful pictures. From there, verse 44, they departed from Obot and camped at Ie Abarim at the border of Moab. The 38th movement is from Obot or wineskins to Ie Abarim. This is recorded in Numbers 21.11. Ie comes from E, meaning a ruin. Avarim comes from Avar, meaning to pass through. Thus, Ieha Avarim means something like ruins of the passers or ruins of the crossing over. There were some magnificent pictures of redemptive history which were recorded in the surrounding verses of Numbers 21. In short, Ie of the Avarim or ruins of the passers speaks of that which is past. In order to get to glory, one must pass through the ruins of his past life. Nobody starts in glory, and this is what is being seen here. The wineskin of grace means passing through that which is ruined. From there, verse 45, they departed from Iyim and camped at Debongad. The 39th movement is from Iyim, or heaps, to Debongad. Iyim is a shortened form of Ie Abarim. Debon means pining. God means troop or fortune. Thus, it may mean pining of the troop. Coming to this place appears to be a foreshadowing of what it says in Zechariah chapter 12. The pining or mourning of Israel will be great when they finally realize what they had missed. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the morning at Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. Next, verse 46, they moved from Debongad and camped at Almon Diblataim. The 40th movement is from Debongad or pining of the troop to, as the Hebrew reads, Almon Diblataimah. Almon comes from alam, meaning to conceal. Diblataima is a plural word coming from debela, or fig cakes. Thus, it is something like hidden cakes of figs. Who would name a place that? I see Bob shaking his head. The debela, or fig cakes, are mentioned six times in the Old Testament. They are given to signify nourishment and healing. In the case of King Hezekiah, it was actually for the restoration of life itself. Remember that? What is hidden in Christ is to be revealed to the people of Israel for their nourishment and their healing unto life. Next, verse 47, they moved from Almon Diblataim and camped in the mountains of Abarim before Nebo. The 41st movement is from Almon Diblataim, or hidden fig cakes, to the mountains of Abarim before Nebo. Ha'avarim, or the Abarim, means the regions beyond, or the crossings. But remembering from a previous sermon, Abarim is spelled the same as both Ivrim, or Hebrews, and Obarim, or transgressions. Both of those bear on the sense of crossing over. Nebo means interpreter, or foreteller. The mountains of Abarim do not speak of being in the promise, but they are the regions outside of the promise. This is where Moses will die. Those Hebrews who come to Christ must cross over, and only in this will their crossings over of the law or transgressions be forgiven. The law was given to be interpreted as something which foretells the coming of Christ. It is not a means to an end. This stop anticipates crossing over from the law to the grace of Christ and into the land of promise. Verse 48, they departed from the mountains of Avarim and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. 
The 42nd movement is from the plains of the Abarim or the regions beyond to the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. Moab means from father. Jordan means the descender. It is a picture of Christ who descended from the heavens even to the lowest parts. Jericho means place of fragrance or place of the moon. Each of these anticipates Christ. It is he who is from father, Moab. He is the descender, the Jordan, and he leads his people into the place of fragrance, the heavenly kingdom. This last movement of Israel, which was recorded in Numbers 22, verse 1, brings the Israelites to their last stop before entering Canaan. This location is now further explained with the words, our final words of the day, verse 49, finishing with, they camped by the Jordan from Beit Jeshimot as far as the Abel Acacia Grove in the plains of Moab. The New King James Version, and I believe the King James also incorrectly says here, Bet Jeshimot. It is Bet Jeshimot. Bet means house, Hayeshimot means the desolations. Thus it is house of the desolations. Abel means meadow, and Hashatim means the acacias. Thus it is meadow of the acacias. However, Shatim comes from a word shotet, signifying a scourge. That root is used only once in the Bible. In Joshua 23, verse 13, it says this, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and shotet, scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Thus, the scourges are that which draw the people away from faith in the Lord and to that which is false. Everything outside of the land of promise is a house of desolations, and it is a place which will draw people away from the Lord. It is at this spot that the Lord will give the people advice concerning their inheritance. In the verses and chapters to come, that'll be the case, and it is also here that the Lord will speak out the words of Deuteronomy. After that, Moses will be taken up to the top of Mount Nebo, he'll see the land of promise, and there die. The travels of Israel have been carefully documented to show us what Israel would do in her exile and how the Lord would work slowly and methodically throughout the span of years to both punish them and to also lead them back to himself. I'm going to be as honest as I can, and I'm going to tell you that the pictorial meaning for many of these stops, actually it's several, but we'll say many of these stops are a best guess on my part. But as we saw with the many that are certain beyond a shadow of a doubt, they are all given for a specific purpose of showing us snapshots of Israel's history, including its future. This is absolutely assured, and I have tried my very best to give you what I believe these stops are telling you. The patterns we had seen in chapters 14 through 21 have been relived and they have been expanded on. And yet the names and places carefully follow that same pattern of God's tender care for Israel due to his covenant faithfulness, despite Israel's deserved punishment for their covenant unfaithfulness. In the end, and as I have showed you many times in the past, we can look to God's covenant faithfulness to Israel under the law of Moses and compare it to us under the new covenant in Christ's blood. Though he punished them for their misdeeds, he never never rejected them as a people. How do we know that? Because they're in the land right now. We know this is true. The people of past ages may have thought, well, God rejected Israel. We know for certain that he did not. How good it is to know when we fail to honor him as we should, 
that he has promised us in the book of Hebrews that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he has promised that any punishment we receive is because he loves us as sons. What a glorious God that we serve. What a faithful, wonderful father that we have. When we come to this list of stops from Sinai to Canaan, actually from Egypt all the way to Canaan, we know this and cherish the thought as we read through the otherwise difficult and even obscure names of places that Israel really traveled through on their way back to the arms of their loving creator and father. Isn't that wonderful? I'm telling you, it's a bunch of names that I've read a million times and I never gave them any thought until we started into these number sermon, and they all fit perfectly. The numbers chapters in particular showed us time and again the grace of God being displayed upon this people who have continuously rejected him. And then he summarizes all of it in the past two sermons of names, just names and a couple of details filled in there. And all of it points to God's love for Israel, which is simply a picture of his love for each individual who is called on Christ. We have an assurance of salvation. People say you can lose your salvation. They do not have sound theology. They do not understand what God has done in Christ. And to say that you can lose your salvation means that it's up to you. And it means it was never of grace at all. It's saying, I can do better than Jesus. What he did was insufficient. I'm going to have to add to it to make sure that I don't get cast into the fiery pit. And that's not the God of the Bible. He loves us enough to save us despite ourselves. Despite ourselves. So if you've never called on Jesus as Savior, I would hope that today would be the day. Let's go there really quickly. Let's go there to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 first. And just read you what it says about the gospel. The gospel of, I'm in Romans. you got to get to 1 Corinthians to get into uh, the right uh, passage. Okay, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is, the gospel, for I delivered you first of all, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. And then how do you appropriate that? That's the gospel. How do you appropriate that? You go to the book of Romans and you go to chapter 10. And Paul tells you exactly how to appropriate it. He says in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's a gift. The term free gift is a redundancy. You hear people say it's a free gift. Guess what? It's a gift. Call on Jesus. Our closing verse comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. Then you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Think of Israel. All of these stops, he never... Never got rid of them. He just chastened them all along the way. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Next week is Numbers 33, 50 through 56. It's only a couple verses. For this Israel will forever the Lord bless. It's entitled, I have given you the land to possess. That'll be our 66 numbers sermon. Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in the desert and you're wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there 
and he's carefully leading you back to the land of promise. We arrived there today, didn't we? Mm -hmm. Land of promise. So follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Okay, don't look at your notes. Look up here, because I've got a Maserati question for you, which I don't want you looking at your notes. It was noted earlier that number 42 is used to speak of a duration of time. Where is that mentioned and what duration of time? I gave it to you in our text verse today. Right at the beginning of the sermon. Don't look down. 42 used in a duration of time. Tribulation. 42 months. You get a Maserati. Oh, good job. All right. Very good. 42 months and uh, what is it? 1260 days, which is also 42 months. So it's 42 and 42 or seven years. Okay. We got a poem here for you called The uh, Journeys of Israel from Sinai to the Plains of Moab. They moved from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kibroth Hata'ava by and by. They departed from Kibroth Hata'ava and camped at Hazarot. They departed from Hazarot and camped at Rithmah. They departed from Rithmah and camped at Ramon Perez. They departed from Ramon Perez and camped at Livnah. They moved from Livnah and camped at Rissah. They journeyed from Rissah and camped at Kehelatah. They went from Kehelatah and camped at Mount Shefer. They moved from Mount Shefer and camped at Haradah. They moved from Haradah and camped at Machelot. They moved from Machelot and camped at Tahat. They departed from Tahat and camped at Terah. They moved from Terah and camped at Mithkah. At Mithkah, they temporarily did squat. They went from Mithkah and camped at Hashmonah. They departed from Hashmonah and camped at Mozarot. They departed from Mozarot and camped at Bene Ya'akan. They moved from Bene Ya'akan and camped at Hor Hagidgad, a place worthy of note. They went from Hor Hagidgad and camped at Yotpatah. They moved from Yotpatah and camped at Avronah. Maybe at Avronah the flowers were fresh. They departed from Avronah and camped at Ezion Geber. They moved from Ezion Geber and camped in the wilderness of Zin, which is at Kadesh. They moved from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor, on the boundary of the land of Edom, so says the word. Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord, and died there in the fortieth year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt on the first day of the fifth month, as the record does tell. Aaron was 123 years old. When he died on Mount Hor, he lived a good long spell. Now the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the children of Israel. They departed from Mount Hor and camped at Zalmonah. They departed from Zalmonah and camped at Punon, according to the order. They departed from Punon and camped at Obot. They departed from Obot and camped at Ie Abarim at Moab's border. They departed from Eim and camped at Debongad. They moved from Debongad and camped at Almon Diblathaim. They moved from Almon Diblathaim and camped before Nebo in the mountains of Abarim. They departed from the mountains of Abarim and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho. They camped by the Jordan from Bet Jeshimut as far as the Abel Acacia Grove in the plains of Moab, as we now know. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess. And so be our guide, O oh God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you. To us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful, wonderful note of assurance that we have in these verses. Difficult as they are and as much information as we've taken in today, we get one truth from it, is that you are faithful when we are unfaithful. How great that is that you led them all the way from leaving Egypt to Sinai and then from Sinai through all of that disobedience right back to yourself. And that's where Israel stands today. Lord, we lift them up. We pray for them. We pray for the people of Israel that you will be with them, that you will protect them, and that you will bring them to you in a way that they can't even imagine at this point in history. May it be so and may it be soon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.